Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, Glory family, you guys can have a seat. It is so good to be here with you, to see new faces, to see uh, old faces who are back, to see those who are, who are on in our chats and the comments on Facebook. It is so good to see all of you. Um, my name, if you are new, is Greg, uh, Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the, uh, the lead pastors here at Glory Church. And uh, as you've heard already, we are, are a young church. We're, we're new to the city. We have been uh, almost a thing for about two years. Next week, we are celebrating two years. Um, a little bit quick about me. My wife and I, we, we have been in ministry for uh, over a decade now. Um, been married 10 years in May, so it's coming up. Uh, we finally, we, we had to get a refund on our 10-year anniversary trip, sadly, um, but found better tickets. So we're going to, we're going to Scotland. I've never, like, I know I'm excited. We're leaving, it's like seven, I know, I didn't even tell the staff yet. We are going to Scotland. I'm really excited because that's like my heritage and my brother has tracked it down and we're actually staying, uh, we are actually staying in the city that my family was in, so that's pretty exciting. And those who know it, you better believe I'm coming home with a kilt, all right? Yeah, I'm coming home with a kilt. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to wear it to preach, don't worry. Um. We had a murder mystery. This is like, we had a murder mystery night at my house, and uh, I played a Scottish person, but we didn't have a kilt, but my wife had a plaid scarf. So I wrapped that thing around me, and it, it was a kilt. Uh, don't worry, it did have shorts on underneath, but um, so I am excited for the kilt. Uh, we are celebrating 10 years. We have four kids of our own. Uh, we have uh, almost nine year old twins, a boy, girl, a uh, almost four year old little guy, and then in between, stuck in it all. She's excited. She's fiery. A little almost six-year-old. Um, so our family's growing. We got a lot. Um, and, and so I'm excited for, for you guys to get to know us. Um, but this is a great weekend to join in. We're actually in a whole series about our core values as a church. Um, I bleed these values. In fact, I could not be a part of a church that did not have clear values. Anyone else like, what, what is the purpose of this place? So, you know, like where, where what's the direction? That's our values. We have six of them. And when we formed them as a couple, my wife and I, we really said like, what are the core values of our home? Because like we've seen success in our house and it's not by worldly standards. So what are these values? And so we formed six of them and they're things that, that we honestly bring into everything that we do. It's not just a churchy thing. It's, it's, it's a husband thing. It's a wife thing. It's a father thing. It's a, it's a kid thing. This is how we do life are these six things. And so if you are, uh, you know, this is your first time to step in with us, all of these will be on our podcast. Like you can figure out all the other ones, uh, all, you know, four before this one. But we called this whole series Bringing It Home. This is not the first time I've taught on our values, but this is the first time I've brought it like this, uh, bringing it home. And I've told you at each and every week that we're taking the values of glory into the homes of glory. That there's one thing to say, this is my church's values. Another thing to say, this is my value for my home, my marriage, my family, my street, my job. This is, these are my values. And so, I mean, they're pretty biblical, uh, I would have to say. The first one is that we live as truth. That was value number one. Value number two, we love our neighbor. 
Value number three, we serve our homes, our places of influence. Value number four, we celebrate diversity. We celebrate the fact that God has created us with different gifts, different backgrounds, different histories, yet at the same time, he has uniquely qualified us to work together. So we celebrate it. We work through that. That's, that's difficult. That's, that's hard. That was last week's, right? You, true unity is difficult, especially in our American context right now. What does it look like to be truly unified? And then we have our fifth one, and I'm excited to dive into it this morning, especially with a room full of people who don't know me. This will be fun. Uh, those who are new, uh, I'm really excited. Our fifth value is that we invest our resources. We invest our resources. And before you start thinking, ah, oh, crap, it's a money talk. It, this is so much greater and deeper than each of us think. Like I have a friend who is really struggling with their church. And a couple of things that I ask always, are you plugged in? No. Then how do you know you're struggling with your church if you're not plugged in? Like when we start investing, things start growing. And so it's not just money. It's, it's time. It's, it's using his giftings. It's, it's using all that we are and investing it in all that God is, what he's doing, where he's at. And that's difficult to do because we, we don't like to submit to things sometimes, right? We don't like to trust in things outside of ourselves. But I wrote some things down. Uh, it's literally taking all that you have access to. You have access to a lot of things. You have access to a lot of time, personal time. You have access to literal resources, things. Uh, you have access to your giftings. You have access to your thoughts, your education, all that you have access to and deciding to give it to the Lord to use in every context, not grasping it, not, not uh, you know, taking it and securing it for yourself, not holding it tight by you, but instead allowing open hands, God, use this. You see, a church that invests their resources is a church that is unstoppable because we'll start realizing when our hands are open, when our hands are open, it's not just what I have to hold, but I start realizing that I can receive anything that God puts in it. And so you, I start like, you, want, you need money? I don't have money, but I can pray for money for you. Like I could pray for that bill and the kingdom resources are everywhere. You need peace? I can't give you peace, but I can pray for peace. And you better believe the kingdom resources are of immense peace. You see, when we have hands open, we start having the ability to tap into the things of God like never before. But it's, we like to guard what's ours, right? We like to guard what's ours. But this imagery of sowing, of planting, of investing is actually throughout the Bible. If you've ever read the, uh, the journey of the Israelites, they uh, were nomads, but they were called to, you know, plant, to sow, to make food, and then to give it. This idea of sowing, investing into the unknown, burying your seed, and then trusting that, like, the Lord, the provider of the rain would, would do what he's supposed to do would bring the rain. Like that's, that's throughout the Bible. And I think the Lord, this principle to give was given so early because I think he knows something about our fallen nature. If you want to take notes, like I think he knows this. Our fallen nature, it's sad. Our fallen nature has this very natural instinct, this very natural, we can even say inclination to trust the physical over anything else. You want to put that up? Our, our fallen nature has this natural problem we like to trust what we can physically see over anything else, which makes sense. We trust what we can physically see. We either, in the physical world, we either have or we don't have, right? In the physical world, you either have a safe home or you don't. In the physical world, you, you either have money or you don't have money. In the physical world, you're either eating today or you're not eating today. In the physical world, 
things are either good or bad. But we have this fallen nature in us that likes to trust what we can physically see over anything else. And God knew this about us. He knew. He knew that the moment we think things are going well, right, and the moment we see things good, that we'll start missing him. Because he's not physical, God, right? He's not. We were created as physical people to believe and trust that everything I can tangibly see is held together by a very unseen God. That every problem that is physical has a very spiritual nature attached to it. That the problem in your physical home might have some very spiritual things attached to it. That the problem in our our very physical life has some very spiritual, whether it's doubt or worry or there's, there's some sin struggles or there's some arrogance. Can we all like agree that that the physical world is not just physical. It's not. But we have this idea of trusting it because, like, that's where we get fed most of the time, right? It's in the physical world that we either, like, get hit in the face or we dodge the, the punch, right? It's in the physical world that these things happen. But God's like, my people need to know that they were spiritual people designed to live in the physical, but see me in it. See the unseen in it. And so it's, it's very interesting, like, I wrote this down, as our trust in the physical advances, our ability to discern the spiritual diminishes. And this is what na- sadly happens in my home. As I trust what I can physically do to teach my family, as I trust, uh, you know, we're finally getting this, you know, parenting thing down, we got four kids, you know, they're, they're doing well, as I tr- start trusting my own strength, my ability to discern what God is doing or my ability to discern what is happening on the inside or what is happening when they, when they are struggling is just diminishing. As we trust that paycheck to physically provide for us, we start losing our ability to discern what is the right thing to do with the money that I get. As I start trusting my home to protect me, I start losing the ability to discern when I'm in dangerous places and it's not my home that's going to protect me. It's the Lord. Because see, sometimes we get very messed up on what is comfort, what is strength, what is protection, and it has nothing to do with the physical. It has everything to do with the spiritual. It's so powerful. I read a story once of, uh, now I don't tell you to do this, all right? This is just a cool story, all right? Don't do this when you see a bear. And you're like, what? I read a story once that a, a woman was dealing with this belief that the Lord was her protector, and she was hiking and found a bear on the hike, and she said, in the name of Jesus, you will leave, and the bear ran. Like, it's this idea that, like, now, honestly, I don't know. Don't do it. I don't know. <laughs> Just stay away from bears. But she believed that my spiritual protection is way greater than anything physical that this bear could do to me. Why? Because I trust in the spiritual above the physical. And so bear doesn't fear me. It doesn't scare me. Now that's crazy. That's crazy. But when you hear invest our resources, you're not thinking about your trust problem. But that's exactly what we're dealing with this morning. Your trust problem. Our trust problem as a church. Our, our desire to do this instead of this. This isn't going to save you from a bear, but this will. It's crazy. This is not going to save you from a hardship in your marriage. 
Some of you, when, when, when things happen, you're ready to do this and not just to hold tightly what's yours, but you're also ready to, you're ready to throw the punch, right? Like you, you, you're struggling. This is not gonna protect you. This will. This open-handed, Jesus, what I have is yours and I'm gonna believe in your lordship over it. As we grow and trust on that paycheck, what it means for me, I wrote this down. If unmanaged, your spirit will start um, blindly blindly thinking that that's your provision. As you start trusting in uh, that physical job, you grow and you tend it. Some of you, like you have plans. You want to advance in your job. I mean, those are very natural things. You want, you want, you want to gr- grow in the ladder. You're there, but you would long to be somewhere else. I get it. But as you trust in that physical thing, what will start happening is that you will lose the ability to discern what the Lord is doing. So much so this. You're at home, but you're still thinking about that. You're at home, but you're still thinking of how you should do that or what you've longed or what you've missed or the, those opportunities because you're, you're so into the physical that you're missing what God is doing. It's, it calls us to re, you know, re, re-look at our heart as we trust that fix. I wrote this down. I just The physical world is sometimes where we can ease our tension, you know, that late night drink after the hard day. The medication that will loosen our feeling, the pornography that'll sadly like just take that edge off for a bit. As we trust the physical, we start hardening our heart to hear from the Lord. And this is where we got like, this is where one drink turns into a problem. When we start trusting that over what the Lord is doing. When we start allowing that to be a gateway to not believing him to to handle our ease, not believing him to fix our issues, to not believing him to solve our problems because we don't want to deal with them sometimes. See, this investing in the kingdom is so much greater than just money because it, it really deals with everything we do, we touch, and what we think that that will do for us. Instead of just saying, God, everything I do... It's going to be for you. And that's a very different mindset. But as people of God, we are called to live in the physical world, leaning on the spiritual God, leaning on him. He knows our trust problems. And so like as soon as Israel, like this, some of you are very like, uh, you're, you're very physically minded people. So you need this metaphor. As Israel, he knew as the baby Israel started walking and as soon as they could walk on their own, they're going to start trusting their own legs. And as my people start trusting their own legs, they're going to forget that though, this is scripture, though they walk, I am who directs their path, right? The Lord is who directs. They're going to start trusting their legs. And then they're going to start trusting their crops. Then they're going to start trusting what they can provide for their home. They're going to start trusting in their ability to build a strong wall around them. And they're going to forget me. You see, as they stand, if not careful, they're going to start walking and thinking that they're the ones who makes them walk, endure, be strong. And so he sets up this, this, this first fruit principle, right? And we'll get into it. He sets up this idea of, of I'm going to call you to give to me so that you can trust that I'm the one who directs you. I'm going to call you to give to me. I'm going to call you to have the hands open so that you trust that I'm the one who's going to direct that next step instead of you doing it. And so, like, if you think about it, uh, here's, a, here's a nice hard thing to hear. Unsubmitted resources can quickly turn into overlooked, overlooked idols. Can you put that up for them, bro, bro? Un, 
unsubmitted resources, things that you don't submit to the Lord, they can quickly turn into overlooked idols. And God knew this about the Israelites. If they don't give me their first, then without even realizing it, they're not meaning to. They're not intentionally saying this fruit is my God. But without meaning to, they're overlooking the fact that they're trusting in that more than me. And this is like throughout, like I wrote some, some things down when we say, but that is mine. Like I worked hard for that. I've, I've been working years. I went to school so that I could get this. And this is what I've been doing. Like I've wanted it forever and it's finally come. Like we have these words a lot. But the interesting thing is like, these are not intentional idols. It's not like we created this golden calf to worship. They're unintentional. They hide in plain sight. They're unintentional. They're, they're a good thing held tightly in your hand that's reserved for you only. Some of you have that. It's that good thing that's held tight in your hand. It's that gift that you won't use for other people. It's that, like, it's that education that, that you think sets you up, but you're not allowing it to grow others. It, it, there's so much. It's that resource. Some of it's a literal investment or something that you do with a false motive. These are overlooked idols. And it's, and it's honestly because we have these things and we don't say, God, my marriage, what do you want to do in it? God, my family, what do you want to do in it? God, this home, what do you want to do through it? My street, what do you want to do in it? And, and quickly, these things unsubmitted to the Lord can become idols guarded by us. They're, they're a title. Some of you have some titles that have become overlooked idols. Some of you provisions, things that you hold so dear, you stopped considering the Lord in it. Here, here's a cool thing about an idol. You know it's an idol when you've stopped even thinking about Jesus when you're in it, when you're doing it, when you're with them when you're working on it. You don't even consider him anymore. Now that's dangerous because like there, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of those. Sometimes food can become an idol. Sometimes working out can become an idol. Sometimes things can become an idol because we, we are not submitting them to the Lord, asking what he's doing in them. And so we start worshiping in a different way. And so to the church of Corinth, Paul says this, uh, chapter 10. Some of you have read this before. You've maybe, I used to memorize this as a little high school boy. This is like my, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? But verse 12 starts like this. It says, so if you think you are standing, watch out that you don't fall. Watch out. Because no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you can endure it. And so Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You see, we like to call just sin problems and attach that, but we don't call them what they are, idols. Things that we are, are engaging with that, that we're not even considering the Lord with anymore. An idol. He says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And so you can like write this down, read that this week, but I'm going to paraphrase a bit because it does get a little confusing and he's very blunt. So I'm going to paraphrase it for our work, uh, for our time. He goes, all right, I'm about to speak plainly to you. <laughs> as sensible people, here you go. 
And he says, you know communion that we take weekly? Here at Glory Church, you know communion, the little cups. He says the communion, as you engage, as you interact with communion, you're partnering with the Lord. You literally are partnering with his blood that was shed on the cross. This is what Paul's saying in this next section that I'm paraphrasing. You're partnering with the blood of Jesus that washed over you. You're interacting. You're investing your energy into this. You're investing your attention, your thoughts. When you take that little wafer, which honestly, they're nasty in this package. Like, I don't know why. They're just bad. They taste like cardboard. But he says, when you, when you eat that, you're participating. You are sharing with the body of Christ. You're participating with the body of Christ. And so then he flips the script on them. And he says, anytime you interact with something that is an idol, you participate with the work of the enemy. Literally, he says, I mean, he's pretty blunt. He says, you participate with demons. <laughs> you partner with demons. And so I, I just wanted to, I wanted to paraphrase it because some of you would be like, demons, that's weird, and you'd toss it out. But what we don't realize is when we invest in life without the consideration of God in it, we are partnering with everything but the Lord. And everything but the Lord is the spiritual realm, the, the principles, the authorities that are not submitting to him, which in other words, we can get all the way down the list and say demons. We can get all the way down the list and say spirits that are at war with the Lord. And so it's really interesting when we do not say God here, we allow the enemy to use it. When we do not say God here, you allow the enemy to use it. And so God institutes that first fruit command. Hey, invest. Whatever you do, give it. Whatever you do, invest. In fact, like it's this principle, a character principle. If you want to write it down, like the character is this. The principle is to take what we physically have and hand it over to the Lord to use. Some of you need to write that. Take what I physically have. Some of you, your physical world, take what you have intentionally hand it over for the Lord to use. Another way to say this is to take what we can tangibly see and plant it in the tangibly unseen, in the intangible, right? Like the things that we don't understand anymore. How to, how to explain this? Like that's a little confusing. When we hold it tight, when we hold things tight, we think that it's ours. But honestly, when we hold it tight, it is in the, also the ability for the enemy to use. Uh, think about it. This is, not a, this is not a slide, but this is a principle that just some of you need to know. There's a connection between what you hold tight and what tightly holds you. I'll say it again. There's a connection between what you hold tight and what tightly holds you. That's why in a beautiful way, Jesus says, abide in me and I abide in you. Another word for the abide is cling to me, hold tight to me, and I will hold tight to you. It's beautiful. When God says, hold tight to my word, like cling to my word, and then the scripture also says that he keeps us in perfect like, peace. Like he keeps us. We are kept by the Lord. Why? Because we cling to him. But the opposite, whew, the negative side, is what we tightly hold will hold us tightly. Some of you have tightly held your insecurities. You not confess them. Some of you tightly hold your relationships. Some of you tightly hold money. You tightly hold that job. You tightly hold the pursuit there. It's your title. And what you don't realize is it starts holding you. 
you start literally doing whatever needed to keep that strong. And we don't realize is like, you're literally becoming a puppet to your money. You're literally becoming a puppet to relationships. I used to tell this to students all the time. You give the ability for people to direct you by caring what they think. Like you're, you're literally allowing them the reins of your life. As you, as, you, as you give it to them, then you're just, you're gonna be there puppeteer. Like they're gonna, they're gonna just direct you wherever you go. Why? Because you tightly hold your image. You hold your image so tight. It's yours. And when your image is highly, tightly held, it becomes the bondage on your life. You start fearing, insecurities are real, worries, doubts, struggles. If you've been struggling with, with finances and you've been doubting and fearing and worrying, it might be because you're holding tight every dollar. There's a difference in storing safely and storing Storing with this, like, it's mine. I got to keep it. I got to keep it. And so he knew this, like, I, I got to take what they tangibly see. And so I'm going to make sense of this. Take what you tangibly see, money, very, very easily, and plant it into the intangible. You know, when you give to a church or a place or a people, God knew when, when they handed over their first fruits, they would not know what that fruit went to anymore. They're, it's intangible. It doesn't make sense. They can't fathom where it's going to go. But then the church is able to feed it. They don't know tangibly who that's going to feed or what resource that will provide to another, but the Lord uses it in the intangible. Some of you, you've given to this building and you didn't even think it would be a reality yet. Some of you, I was in the doubting phase. Like anyone else in the doubting phase at first? You're like, God, I'm going to give this. But are we going to get it? Like are other people going to give? And so you put it into the intangible, the unseen, and you trusted the Lord to do something with it. That is investing. Another one is like uh, what you guys don't see is that every week we have a children's ministry downstairs. That's unseen. You deciding to serve in a church, investing your gifts, is taking this very seen thing, me, and planting myself in a very unseen. I've never done it. I've never been there. That's not what I do. That's out of my comfort zone. And relying, trusting that the Lord is going to do something in it. That is investing our resources. Taking what I know and deciding, hey, God, I don't know this. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. And I'm going I'm to dive in and do it. I'm going to plant this. I'm going to see what you do. I'm going to trust in you to say, I got these legs, but I'm going to let you direct me. I got these gifts, but I'm going to let you direct me. I have this time. I have this money and savings. It's like, honestly, for, for my benefit, and it's been for my benefit for far too long here. Direct it. I've got these things. Some of you have a car that's been sitting in your back, and you're like, I just don't have any money. And some of you, you have resources, and you're like, you just keep telling God no. As he asks you to take ownership in this new building, what if you sold it and give? Like, we have resources. We always just think it's money. Some of you are like, I don't have a place here. You have giftings that are not being used. Invest your resources and trust that the Lord is going to use it. Take it further. Trust it. And as we do that, honestly, it's bondage breaking points. Like, as I trust God, the enemy's hold is off. As I say, God, here, 
the enemy's like, no, I wanted to use that. As I say, God, like, I don't know how to lead my kids very well. Like, I keep messing this up. Like, God, help me. God's like, I got all over this. But when I tightly held it and dealt with all my problems on my own, the enemy's like, I'm going to let fear fester. I'm going to let pride fester. I'm going to let bitterness fester. But the moment I say, God, here, he starts working. He starts working. And as we do that, literal breakthrough happens. I wrote some things down. We begin to be released from the bitterness, the fears, the worries, the sins. Some of you, like, you're like, what is the connection between my sin and, like, giving? That doesn't make sense, Greg. It doesn't make sense, Greg. Honestly, like, what we don't realize, like I said the word pornography earlier. Um, what we don't realize is as we engage in things outside of the Lord, it hardens our ability to even ever believe what God is doing. Some of you have not believed in the Lord to do things for you, and it's attached to what you're interacting with and in without him. And so giving is huge because giving actually starts reorganizing our thoughts to actually say, God, here, I'm going to start trusting my, the physical things with you, and then you'll start realizing I can trust my physical with you, God. Does that make sense? Like, does that, that's how it reorder, reorders our thoughts. As we start trusting the physical with the Lord, we don't have to go to those other things anymore because he's reordered our thoughts. He's reordered, and honestly, like, if you're not doing that, then you're losing some spiritual wars in your home. You are. You're losing some spiritual wars in your home. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man that wins the war in the spiritual in my home. I want to be a man that wins the war in the spiritual with my, my wife. I want to be a man that wins the war in the spiritual on my street. And it's not because I'm trying more. It's because I'm giving up more. If you want to win the war in the spiritual in your marriage, then open-handedly submit it to the Lord. If you want to start winning the war in the spiritual at your job, then start saying, God, here, use this. Use this. Use this. If you think about it, like, that's through, like, trust and dependence. But I wrote this down, and some of you needed, I cannot win the war in the spiritual when my hands are the ones calling the shots in the physical. And so, release, 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 open-handed, release. You can't win the war in the physical if your hands are the ones calling shots with everything you do, wherever you go. Some of you are control freaks. I'm right there with you. But you cannot trust what the God of the universe is doing if you keep wanting you to do it yourself. Like, you got to release. You got to release. You see, Kate and I were uh, beginning this week off, and we're going to close in a minute, I promise. Um, we're beginning this week off, and I always talk with my wife, Kate, about what the sermon is over. And uh, she always gives me some really good nuggets. Always. And so I always bring them. And you guys are just like, wow, he is so good at like this, this wisdom. Like, what is this? And I'm like, well, many of it's from Kate. So this is from Kate. Um, yeah, she, you know, here I am. Uh, she was like, I think I was reading, you know, Luke 12 this week. And I just thought all about this. And I was like, well, what was it about? Read it. Well, what can you like, tell me anything? Just read it. And she just walked away. And that's my wife, and you know, and she's like, I'll give you this, go do it. And then she walks away. So I read Luke 2, or Luke 12, um, 
And I was caught off guard by how um, it is full of men who call the shots, who call the shots with everything in their hand, but they still want the Lord to bless them. And I'm like, who? I feel like that's us at times. We call the shots between everything that is in our hands, but we still want God to give us more. And God's like, bro, you're not letting me call the shots with anything you have now. Why would I give you that job? Why would I give you that thing that you're pursuing when what's in your hands right now is your, your, your marriage and you're the one calling the shots in it? Like uh, right now, like you're not doing this. You're not investing this into me. And so here's the passage. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. We're going to read it and then we're going to be done. I promise. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, my brother, or tell my brother to divide the land the family inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Like, just pause. Like, I was a youth pastor, and the story of my life was every time I taught, there would be the Brad in the student ministry. Like, we're going to just name him Brad. Who'd be like, hey, teacher, and start talking. And really, like, what they say is they, they want you to affirm their bad behavior, Right? Instead of doing anything about it. And I just like, I can't handle that. Um, I would just like drop the bomb and then walk away. But Jesus uses this as a teaching principle. Um, But Brad is like, hey, can you tell my brother? Like, who does this in in a crowd? Hey, Jesus, by the way, can you tell my brother to give me the family inheritance? Like, to split it with me? Like, Brad, shut up. And you just keep going. Like, that's what I want to engage with with Brad. But Jesus uses it. In a really powerful way, he's like, so who made me the judge over this issue? There's a couple things that he's doing. One, very practically, like, if the brother was older, the inheritance would be the older brother's. And the older brother gets to decide who it goes to. And if the brother doesn't want it to, that's out of Jesus' hands. Like, do the right thing, dude. Brad, come on. Second one is, Brad, you don't want me to be a judge over you at all, but now you do. You just want me to give you the money. Who set me over you? You didn't. And I just think like a lot of times, this is the attitude that we have to God. We're Brad's. And we're like, God, do this for me. And he's like, but you've not invested a single thing into my kingdom. But you want more. You want more. And so he uses it. Unlike me, I would have shot it down, been done. Jesus says, he told them, or he said this to them, take care, be on guard against all types of greed, covetousness, this desire to have more. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If you think about it, abundance of life and abundance of possessions are very different. They're very different. Abundance of life means abundance of hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all those things. But then he tells them this parable. I mean, Jesus is really just, he's, he's getting it. He says, so there was a land of a rich man, and it was produced, it produced abundantly. And the rich man thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to, to store my crops. And so the rich man said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I'll big builder ones, or I will build bigger ones. Wow. Goodness. It's up there. And there I will store all of my grain, all of my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many years to relax, eat, drink, be merry. It says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Now, before you disconnect yourself from this guy, like, we do this all the time. We say, um, God, once I get that, I can be restful. I can be merry. Once, like, he's like, I have all these things. I'm going to store up everything. And then when that happens, then I will have peace. And I'll be able to say to my soul, like, dude, just rest. Be calm because you've done everything that you need. And we do this. Like, when I was in high school, if I just graduate, then it'll be better. Anyone ever? When, I, when we were in college, if we just graduate, get our degree, it'll be better. When, you, if I just, when you're engaged, if we just got married, then it'll be better. Like, everything, I'll have peace. Uh, those of you... When I just get this job, it will be better. When I just get that raise, it will be better. I'll have peace. When we just get this house that we've been wanting forever, we'll have peace. And we just, all of these like more, more, mores and attached to it is peace, right? Anyone else? It just never ends. It never ends. I want more, we say. I want more. And honestly, That is the proof that we are dealing with everything right now with closed hands. And you're like, no, Pastor, those are fighting words. How am I dealing with things with closed hands? You don't know me. Anyone ever feel that way? You don't know. Like, you don't know. Well, here. This is how. This is some of you are not going to like this. You know that you are dealing with things with closed hands when... You are already assigning. Do you want to put that up for us, brother? You are already assigning attributes of abundant life onto what they will produce for you later. That's when you know that your hands are closed. You're already saying, I will have hope when that happens. I will have peace when that happens. Those are attributes of abundant life, but we have called them attributes of abundant possessions. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Attributes of abundant life, I will have joy when we get into this new space. That's a lie from the devil, right? Like, I will have, we will have power in this, in this city when we get into that new building. Anyone ever think that? Or like, we will do good things then. That's a lie because I'm assigning attributes of the kingdom onto something physical. That's not true. I'm not investing my resources now. That boy is not going to give you the peace. You're holding some things tight because you're assigning attributes of the kingdom onto what they can do for you. And that's not true. That's not true at all. And so, like, honestly, we're all the brads, right? This, this guy, we, Jesus, give me more so that I can be better. And he's like, I have given you enough, and you're not using it. You're not lifting it. You're not providing it to your kingdom. You're not using it in any way. And so as we close this morning, like he says, those who are rich toward God, whew, I just want to paint that picture. The word rich has a double meaning in the Hebrew. It all de- it's dependent on its context. But I think for some reason, like it reads both ways in this. So the word rich can mean Those who acquire wealth are rich, but the word rich in the Hebrew also means those who give wealth are rich. 
It's really cool, this word. So when you're rich toward God, I believe you have this amazing ability to do both. You have acquired the wealth of the kingdom, joy, peace, like never before. But you have this beautiful ability to give the wealth of the kingdom because you're rich toward God. Does that make sense? When you invest your riches in the Lord, when you say this is yours, you will never lack and you will always give. Like that's a beauty. You will never lack, but you will always give generously. It's so powerful. God, I want to be rich to you. So band, you guys can come up because I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave some of this with this. Uh, honestly, almost a complete year ago, I taught over a few things. Um, and one of them was this comparison between these words that are similar in our life, but we had never called them the same. Um, and I told you that there is this connection, if you want to put it, between our living and our giving. There's this close connection. I told you that at the YMCA. Bonus points to those who were with us that Sunday, because uh, it was one of our last at the YMCA. Um, but I told you that our living and our giving are so closely related. In fact, some of you give very sporadic to people. And then you wonder why your quality of living, why your belief in the Lord is very sporadic where you're like up and down and all around and it's just dependent on the week. It's because you have not chosen this as God's. You're living, you're giving. If you, if you give, um, honestly, with, with strings attached, which many of you do that. I remember like at a church that I went to last time, someone said, this gift is for a pulpit. And my pastor was like, I'm not, we're not, I'm not preaching with a pulpit. Uh, but that gift was assigned to a pulpit. There was a condition on that gift. I will tell you, if you give with conditions, they better, or this better, yeah, I, will, I will do this for someone, but they better. If you give with conditions, you will start living with conditions. And it's hard. If you give with bitterness, you will live with bitterness. If you give because you think you have to, you will live thinking that you just have to do all of this. And God's like, I want a cheerful giver. I want a cheerful giver. Why? Because when they give extravagantly, they live extravagantly. When they give with hope, they live with hope. When they give with trust, they live with trust. When they give with excitement, they live with excitement. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be rich toward the Lord. Someone who acquires the wealth of the kingdom and gives the wealth of the kingdom. God, I just pray right now that we would do a heart check. What are the things that we are holding tight that honestly are, have become a God to us and have demanded much from us? They demand our thoughts. They keep us up at night. And honestly, all you're asking for, Lord, is for us to hand it over. For us to hand it over. May our living and our giving be submitted under you, Jesus. That we will be a church rich in the wealth of the kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.